Apple Arms, Google Fact Checks, Microsoft Secures, Amazon Moves into Snow Cones, and we talk cloud formation with Chuck Gaiman on tonight's Iron Sysamin Podcast, episode 82. <laughs> bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Welcome to tonight's episode of the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and joining me tonight are Charles and Mark and a special guest, special guest Chuck Gaiman. So, uh, say say hello, everybody, and uh, Chuck, let us know what, uh, what, what are you here to talk about? Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hi. So uh, Chuck is an author. Um, you guys reached out to me to to see about having a spot on the show to talk about a book that you have coming out, and he's also uh, quite well versed in in a certain subject that our viewers might actually enjoy. So you want to talk just a, a little bit about who you are, Chuck, and then we'll we'll go from there. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so uh, yeah, I've um, got a new book coming out. It's called. AWS Cloud Formation in Action. It's published by Manning Publications. Um, it's actually in their preview program. It's called the uh, MEEP program, the Manning Early Adopter Program. So you can actually go get the book today. Um, five chapters of it are are out in the MEEP, um, which is a really nice ebook format. And what you can do there. Um, as, as so many of us like to do, is you can you can make comments and suggestions on what I've written about cloud formation, which is really cool, and and hopefully um, learn something from what I wrote too while you're doing that. But um, yeah, so I've been using AWS since 2012 ish, um, and um, you know back then um, cloud formation which is an infrastructure as code tool, wasn't as powerful as it is now. Um, and um, there were other tools like Ansible. I know you guys talk about Red Hat all the time. Ansible is a tool that many people would call, um, you know, uh, infra infrastructure as code. Um, and there's Puppet and Chef, which are also sort of, you know, in the same neighborhood. Um, and now there's Terraform, which has just taken the world by storm as something named Terraform probably should do. And, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. like that episode of Star Trek, right? The, the first Give one. me the secret of Genesis! <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then there's a new one called Plumy, which we can talk about if you'd like to a little bit. That's Plumy? Gloomy. Oh, right. gloomy, gloomy. gloomy. I, I was I heard bloomy and I'm thinking Tobias Fuke from Arrested <laughs> Development. <laughs> Those are the P. P is in palm. Uh, like, okay. like a okay, like a plume of something. I get it. Yeah, plumy. Um, and I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right because I've never had anybody actually say it to me. Um, but uh, like so many things in IT. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but it it's like got there, there's a new thing in cloud formation called the CDK that actually has a lot in common with this Palumi thing. And Palumi's, you know, um, 
why it's become so popular very, very quickly, which is why a lot of people haven't heard of it, is that um, you use whatever your favorite languages are to write infrastructure as code instead of having to learn JSON or YAML or like Terraform uses this HTML thing. So, so that was kind of a big ramble. Um, I, I work for Perforce, which is on my um, vest, and I'm wearing this not to plug my company, but because it's freezing cold in this basement that I'm in right now where my home office is. Um, Look, and, I, can, uh, I can wear a vest to prop <laughs> my company too, okay? Excellent. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a technical marketing engineer and cloud specialist for Perforce. And if you, if you don't know who Perforce is, we're, we're actually a version control system hmm. provider at, at our core foundation, been around since 1995, us and, um, SVN replaced CDS. If you've ever yes. heard anything. Yeah, I think there's probably I got a, my teeth on CVS. Yeah, there's probably a. Uh, I don't miss it. Probably all of yeah. us on this show will remember CVS. Mark, do you remember yeah. CVS? You have to remember CVS. So I'm a terrible programmer. I haven't actually written code since the Apple II and then early IBM PC days before version control was a thing. Like yeah. version control was your notebook that you scrolled stuff down on, or the yeah, you know, right. the Computer World magazine yeah. you were typing the code in from. Yeah, for um, me, it was like the printout sitting in the in the right paper box that I grabbed. Right. The printout was awesome. It was on the green bar, and it would just <laughs> throw it out across the room. Right. You felt you felt like you were a powerful Mondo nerd. No, I can <laughs> um, I can remember early on in my Linux days having to pull things from CVS because like they weren't packaged in a way yet. They were still things that were under development. But right. that's that's my exposure to, to CVS and SVN came on very quickly after that because we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. Late 90s, I early 2000s. Think when I was at Merck first getting into Linux, give me, giving me money, right? They want to pay me money for, for knowing Linux. Uh, one of those version control setups, and I, I don't remember because I'm old, uh, the, our web team used that and yeah. it was hosted on Linux, if I recall. Right. So, uh, so we grew up, um, you know, back in 1995 on um, Unix. Right. Um, Maybe it was on Unix. It was probably Unix. Right? Yeah. Um, Sun and, um, you know, all the other um, Unixes, BSD. Um, we ran on, on deck Vax computers and things like that, if anybody's ever heard of HPUX? Yeah. Uh, yep, for sure. Uh, you know, very agnostic to what Linux, uh, Unix distribution it was. And then, of course, moved to Linux. And, um, and we run on Windows now as well. But... Uh, but the company has continued to evolve the, the software. And, you know, today, most people don't even know that um, there's any other version control than Git, right? Which is yeah. pretty fascinating. But of course, you know, a lot of the people that are in the industry have not been in it. They've only been in since since Linux existed, um, and Git came around just shortly after Linux, really. Um, but we we are. Um, popular today and we're, we're actually growing in popularity because first of all our, our primary target market is um game development so triple a games yes. um, companies like epic that are our largest customers um, as well as people making hardware and software because we can version anything in fact that used to be our our motto version anything so you, you can put your hardware designs into our system you can put your movies 
companies like Pixar use us, Samsung. Intel. You can version control my bourbon. Yes. yes absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the Genesis code from Star Trek could be. Genesis! There you go. There you go. So oh, let me ask you. Callback. Yeah, once. <laughs> let me ask you something, Chuck. So, yeah. so with the prevalence of Git, for instance, um, my again, I'm not really a programmer, although I've used Git for some stuff. Okay, I'm a crappy Ruby programmer nowadays when I do anything. Uh, but I can't speak for anybody else, but it seems I'm not alone in having almost a love-hate relationship with Git because it's there. Yes. It's, it's, it's fairly simple to consume it. And then once you start like using it as a programmer and stuff, it, it seems to be really easy to step in the landmines. How yeah. how how does your product like differ? Is 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 it a better quality of life experience? Yeah, very much so. Very, it's much <laughs> easier to use actually. Um, but it's also you know we have a million um, command line yeah. arguments as well. You know, um, yeah. so you can be happy. If you love, you know, arcane, really long commands that do, you know, 90 different things, but you'll also succeed with us um, if you're if you're not that enamored of it and you just want to get your work done. So so that's why in the game world, you know, code and non-code contributors are equal um, citizens in the game dev community, right? Um, and so they can all use our system, and we have ways of helping them also like we have a windows um explorer um plugin that you know you can right click and version control things right in in a in a window in a file window right you can um you can uh use our visual client you can use your favorite ide we're integrated into visual studio visual studio code so um, and then we're also integrated with the Unreal Engine, Unreal Studio. So those people who are creating 3D models and, you know, animation frameworks and blueprints, they can also um, be in our system without it getting in the way of the work that they're doing. Right. right. And, and Unreal is one of the big boys nowadays. Yes. Yeah, it's huge. Um, and then we work with the, the other big um, 3D game engine slash modeling tool is unity and we work with them too so and we work with a bunch of game engines so. nice but and then and then semiconductor is another really big um area and the chips are all designed basically with sort of a, um you know not a procedural language but and, and i'm not even sure i'd call it a declarative declarative language but you know they're they're written it's, it's basically code um the way they design the chips. It's not like on a CAD system like it used to be, although some analog chips are still designed that way. But, you know, there are millions of files. There are very large files. Those are the things that we excel at. And, um, you know, there was a time when, uh, when people thought that the distributed version control system, DVCS, that get, you know, created, pioneered, was very important. But like I went to a DevOps meetup back when we were going to actual meetups live um, last year. <laughs> In the before time. I remember those. I remember those days. Before the dark times, before yeah, the uh, empire. And meeting standings with other people off of uh, a table. Um, but um, so, and this guy was talking about Git and open source. And, and he really kind of, 
conflated the two. And then as he spoke, I realized, wow, so it's really GitHub that he's in love with, right? Because of the incredible community and mm-hmm. you know, where open source lives. And he was he was telling people things about Git and mistakes that he made in Git, because it is very, very possible in a lot of environments to, you know, to just ruin everybody else's work on your team. And um, we make it a little bit harder to do that. Um, we have better security, but um, and I'm not I, I don't want to speak, you know, I'm not speaking against Git, because we also support Git. Also, you can use Git inside of our server, but we're a server, right? And with the cloud, what's happened is we license, we do, we do charge for our software, which a lot of people don't like. Um, and, um, <laughs> red hat guys, red, red hat guys are, are definitely into that, which is good. So we're kindred spirits on that. You should but. allow to, yeah, you should be able to make money yeah. with, 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 with software, right? Yeah. 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 Um, it's the right. it's the the closed model that us redhead guys have a uh, have a problem with. <laughs> yeah. I like to I, don't, I like to not call it proprietary. I like to call it commercial. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But um, but so so with us, our server until fairly recently, it's very compact. It's written in C. Um, it is very fast, extremely fast, and. Um, and it almost could still fit on a floppy disk, incredibly, right? Um, wow. If you know what a floppy disk is, again. Which you know, kind of floppy? The actual floppy floppies or the hard three and a half inch ones? <laughs> yeah. how, how small are we talking here? Because they, they can fit in the corner. I'm really impressed. The crunchy ones. But, um, the crunchy but so ones with us, okay. you can have as many servers as you want. And as you can imagine, with things like infrastructure is code and and just the cloud itself now it's so easy to spin up servers and configure them one would almost say too easy it's been kind well it's been kind of a boon for us because now like with with the um everybody moving out of the office to working from home right we have this idea called an edge server today edge computing is a big thing Mm -hmm. we've had this edge server for quite some time um and it, it allowed people to move all their stuff to the cloud, put edge servers where they needed to be, where their people are sitting, not in an office anymore, crank up the bandwidth and, um, and continue to work. So that's, that's been a lot of, um, of what I've been doing um, with our customers for the last, you know, 110 days or whatever it's been. Um, that's pretty so cool. So, so I think that's... That's my deep background. Yeah, so uh, so we sort of rabbit trailed into talking about your uh, your company and your or the place you've, uh, you you call it your company. Is it just the place you work, or do you have an actual I stake in this place? Okay, I worked there actually. Um, it was founded by one guy, an engineer. He sold it in 2016 to private equity. Um, we have become a, a platform for acquisition of other really interesting companies like static code analysis tools and agile project management tools and um, testing tools, um, mobile web testing. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm an employee there. I, I work um, for the version control system business though, the core business that was the original acquisition. Um, and, uh, and the company's grown tremendously. The headquarters was moved from San Francisco to Minneapolis, which is really interesting. I live in Minneapolis. Um, 
and yeah, my boss will appreciate me talking about the company. So, um, <laughs> but people don't know who we are, you know. I right. Think. Well, no, I I'd, I'd honestly never heard of you, and that's yeah. you know, for as long as I've been in IT, I mean, they're talking twenty something years that I've been in this field, and I I'd never yeah. heard of you. I've yeah. never been in game design, right? I've also never been right. a software developer, so maybe that's why. Yeah. Um, I play a lot of games. I play a lot yeah. of games, right? So, I um, version control for my Roll Twenty campaign, I think. Some. There you go. You should totally do that. So what, where can people find, you said it's Perforce, right? I'm trying to read yeah, your, is it like. www.perforce.com. Cool. Check, check gonna, us out. Add that, add that into the show notes so that if anybody's curious, you can go check that out. Excellent. Even though that wasn't necessarily uh, where we were going with this conversation, but hey, useful yeah. information for folks in the, uh, in the IT world. So yeah. um, I guess let, let's go back and talk at least, at least briefly about your book. <laughs> yeah. you know definitely do that because yeah. Manning will appreciate that too right? yeah. so, uh, so I, I really like this like I was I'll admit when when I started chatting with you guys and you gave me the code that I could go download the book I was sort of confused at how this whole thing was laid out like why is it only four I only got four chapters at the time you said it's five now yeah. um, like why is that and, and what does that mean like do I get the whole book later that kind of thing so um, and what I've come to understand through chatting with you and, and I guess, uh, your whatever publishing person, um, yeah. the, uh, the, the concept here is that if you buy the book now, if you like buy it at, at like normal full price, um, you only get the first five chapters, but then as the book is finished, those chapters come to you. So it's like a work in progress sort of deal. Every month you'll get a new chapter, right? right? So I'm working on six now. It's it's like coming down to the wire. I've got like um, another week-ish to complete it. And um, and then it'll they'll take about a week or so to, you know, make my graphics look less ugly and do the layout. And, um, you know, they do a really nice job. The books are very awesome. Um, and... Um, and there are other books that people might be interested in, obviously, in the in the program. Um, so, um, and, and that um, that at least one of the codes you got, I think, works with any of the books, and they always have sales. They're having a big Fourth of July sale, so right. right. But yeah, so it's it's great. So, I've written I've written five chapters. Um, I've got a great editor who I talk to every week. You know, we have a, a hour long conference call to talk about the challenges I'm going through and what I've written, you know, um, there's, there are multiple reviews by a, a panel of experts, um, who, you know, when I did the first three chapters, I had that, that review with those folks and, um, and I got so much incredible feedback. I mean, some of them were like, you know, one of the questions I was, I was like sweating bullets for like a week while this was happening, this review panel. Um, and, um, it's, it was, you know, some of them were like, one of the questions was uh, on the Amazon scale of, you know, zero to five stars, what would you give this book at this point? You know, and, and I'm like, can you oh, rate God. your own work, please? <laughs> I always <laughs> yeah. hate those questions. So, so I'm like, well, you know, this is scary. And, and so some, some people gave it a four, but then they also provided like three pages of, suggestions to make it better and i you know and that was a you know there were 16 people and um you know there were a couple of haters in there who you know didn't like me or my writing style but um mm. but for the most part they were very 
very good reviews, but then, but then all this feedback, the detail of which I wasn't really expecting. And so that, that just makes me a better writer, tightens up the material, you know, I'll go back and, and upgrade it. And you can do the same thing in the meet. There's, there's like chat. I'm in there. I get notified when anybody puts something in there. So if they don't understand something, they can ask a question or if they find a problem with it, somebody, you know, found out, you know, noticed that one of the GitHub URLs was messed up in, in like one of the first three chapters and uh, they were like, Hey, you should fix this. And I'm like, uh, yeah, it's a good fine. thing. It's, it's also a hard thing to put in print. The number of times I've come across a technical, a printed technical book yeah. with a URL to something, and then you try to go to it and it's not there anymore or it's moved or whatever. And it's like, well, now what do I do? Yeah. And yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so the Manning process really means that, you know, the book will be, I think it says like um, the beginning of 2021, mm -hmm. right? When it's going to be in print form, you know, where, when it'll be on Amazon as a paperback and, um, and when, when that happens, it's really, really good at that point, right? There's no question that, you know, um, everybody's going to like it. Everybody's going to benefit from it because it's just been, you know, an iterative process, which is really. So that, rev that yeah. review process that you were talking about, is that something that happens each time you release a chapter or is that left up to the folks who are, who have access to it to go and give you feedback? They they give me feedback. I have it. I have one technical editor who reads it. So I have my my um, development editor who, you know, goes through and makes sure you know it's grammatically not stupid. And I haven't you know done half sentences. And um, I need one of those. Like that. Um, in haste, you know, for every and, email and, I write, just for when you're talking. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> leaving out words and having too many words in certain places, but. But then, um, then the technical editor also gives it a very, you know, fine tooth comb walkthrough. Then it goes into the MEEP and, uh, well, then it gets laid out. Then it goes into the MEEP and, um, you know, the layout people probably notice things too. And then, um, and then, and then the MEEP people comment on it. And then, and then my next big review with that, you know, panel is um, after uh, chapter nine. So it'll be, you know, actually mm, the deadline's okay. pretty tight on that. So it'll probably be in August, the beginning of August. So, so okay. we'll nine chapters out there. So it just goes through this review process over and over again. Plus you get actual feedback from people who are reading the book, which yeah. is good. So yeah. It's very open sourcey. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it really kind <laughs> of is. Um, except, well, you're paying for it, but it's. Yeah. You know, it's, right. it's, but, it's a good but deal. So it's free as in speech, not yeah. free yeah. as in yeah. Yeah. You're, you're definitely, um, you know, people, well, one of the things I think people love about open source is, you know, the contributions they're making and what it does for their career and the things they learn. Um, all of those things I think are important aspects of it. In addition to, you know, just pure altruism. Um, and I think a lot of those things come through with this too. You're helping make the book better for everybody. Um, you're proving how much you know, you know. Um, I mean, some of the people that reviewed the book, um, they, they probably could write the book, right? And when, mm -hmm. in the review panel, um, but they didn't sign up to write the book. They didn't, you know, um, go to Manning with the idea and 
proposal and we iterated the proposal a bunch of times to make sure that the book would be useful for people also before I even started writing it. Um, right. We fleshed it out the chapters and the topics. So that makes sense. Good. So we do, you mentioned a discount code. We do have a discount code. I neglected to write down what the percentage off <laughs> you guys gave us was yeah. in my show notes here. Um, the discount Let's code is... it was good. Yeah, it was totally great. I'm guessing it's 20% because it's Pod Iron Sys 20. Well, 20 could be the year. I don't know. But yes, it's Pod it Iron Sys 20. It's in the show notes. I will look up the percentage because uh, yeah. I'm a terrible podcast host and didn't write it down. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. So, why are we put up with your shenanigans? Lately? Yeah, I don't know. It's because I'm the one that's running OBS. That's why you put up with my shenanigans. And I, <laughs> I run the, the soundboard. I have the YouTube. And I, yeah, I'm the one with the soundboard. <laughs> He's not wrong. So we oh. also have what you guys referred to as preview codes that we can give out, which I think gets you a limited time full access to the Meep version of the book. Is that correct? Yeah, right. I understand that right? Yes. Yeah, so you'll have it for two months. So you'll you'll definitely see um, through chapter six and probably chapter seven if you activate it. Right. <clears throat> and they're good. I think they're good until the end of July, if I remember correctly. So if anybody uh, listening wants to hear, so I think the code is good till the end of, end of July. I don't know how, I guess that's the point that the timer starts on your access to the book. I don't know. Right, but, right. Um, so if anybody out there listening to the show wants to get a preview of this book and get access to it for, you know, at least a short time to determine whether maybe you want to buy it or not, which you could then later buy it with the <laughs> the promo code, uh, let us know. Because I, I, I thought about ways to sort of give these away, but I think the best way is to just give them to people who want it. So the first, I think yeah. we have five codes. So the first five people uh, who send an email to uh, podcast at ironsysadmin.com or reach out to me. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter or us on Twitter, I should say, or Facebook, just do so. And when I'm out of codes, I'm out of codes. Simple as that. Let us know. Let us know. <laughs> there you go. You a code. Come on, you knew it was coming at some point. Well, yes, I did. <laughs> well, one thing I I could do um, if we have a few more minutes is um, walk through the table of contents real quick and tell you what. You're oh sure, go right ahead. We've got all the time you need. As long as we don't right, go right. on for three hours or something, that's plenty. With, that's good with me. Excellent. <laughs> I wanted to cover the book <laughs> part, and then I figured we'll talk a little more about infrastructure as code in general yeah, after we cover up. Yeah. Yes, right, because yeah. books have covers. Yep, but we're so. good. I've got I've got bourbon left, so excellent. We got, we got time. <laughs> so the um, you know it starts out by you know I mentioned a few of the. Um, the infrastructure is code tools that are popular at the beginning of the, the podcast. And, um, and so, so that's the first chapter is we, we compare them and, and sort of talk about the pros and cons. And, and I'm not going to tell you that cloud formation is good for every application, right? If you're running Red Hat servers on premises, it, it may well, it, it actually, it's totally not the, the right tool for you to use for infrastructure as code because the primary use case for it is AWS, right? It's an AWS native tool. It's free. You don't pay for it. You just pay for the AWS resources. So that's that's sort of a weakness and a, a, a strength of it. In, in the past, um, it took AWS time to, um, to support new features. You know, they release new features and products and services constantly so many of them um, that they struggled to keep up with those those new things 
and CloudFormation now, it's a first-class citizen in AWS, and, and it's almost, you know, in, in real time or days later that CloudFormation supports the things that they're releasing. So, so that's chapter one. Chapter two then talks about how it works, because it's, you know, all these tools have unique functionality, and it talks about um, the JSON and YAML templates that you use to, to create your infrastructure code um, to deploy. They're called um, templates, and they deploy stacks in AWS. Um, and then we get into you know, creating, updating, and deleting um, the stack uh, lifecycle. Uh, so um, we get into in chapter five. Um, actually, in chapter four, we, we actually use CloudFormation to build a, a website with auto scaling and um, and load balancing. Um, so fully functional website um, deployed. Um, chapter five goes into much, much greater detail on managing changes to templates, talks about ways to modularize your infrastructure code and to work with teams. Um, it doesn't really get into a lot of DevOps um, topics because they're covered later in the book um, in chapter eight. There's a whole section on DevOps and pipelines and infrastructure as code. Um, chapter I'm working on now, chapter six that I mentioned will be you know out, out in the MEEP in a couple of weeks is it's, it's deploying globally. So it talks about the AWS Route 53 DNS system and this thing they call um, organizations, stack sets, and AWS config. All, all three tools are for managing um, an enterprise deployment at scale, whether you do it from the console or whether you do it from CloudFormation. We'll be, we'll be doing it with CloudFormation. Um, and this chapter, actually, we've used, you can do all these things from the console with CloudFormation. You can do it from the CLI. Um, and you can do it from APIs. And, and so in this chapter, we're actually primarily using the, um, the CLI. And then later, we'll talk about monitoring um, performance, containers, serverless. I mentioned the Cloud Development Kit, the CDK that lets you use other languages. That's a chapter. Um, I think people will find that really exciting. I mean, when back when we envisioned this book, which was last fall, um, CDK has just blown up since then, right? I mean, we actually, mm -hmm. you know, the editors wondered, they asked, hey, should we talk about the CDK back then? And I was like, yeah, we should. And um, yeah. And now it's like it's it's there's so many blogs about it that that weren't out then, you know. Uh, I, uh, my colleague and I were at reInvent the reInvent event in New York last yeah. August when you know CDK had already existed, but it was when uh, I think that was when they announced that okay, this is like actually out there for people to use. Yeah, and we've been using it ever since, and that's been. It's been very interesting because it is changing very quickly. Yeah. Lots of releases, deprecations, and that's fine. But um, just keep, you know, you really just have to run to to um, just to stay in place with that, and just to like keep current with it. But 
Yeah. It's been very yeah. cool to play with. Yeah, I feel that way about AWS in general. You've got to yeah. be running all the yeah. time. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, a community is forming around it, an incredibly robust community, and people are doing things that I think AWS probably never even imagined um, with it. I mean, there's a guy who's generating Terraform code with it. You can, you, you can, it's pretty crazy. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, because there's this JavaScript engine in it that, that generates the code, and he's just hacked the heck out of it. It's pretty amazing. So, so anyway, so that was a pretty that was the quicker than um, the discussion of perforce probably, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, get the book and check it out, especially if you want to learn um, cloud formation. Obviously, it's um, it's good skill. You know, there's there's a lot of demand um, if you're on a career path and you want to know how to do cool things. And um, most of the examples in the book are either able to be done in the free tier, right? So if you just go to AWS and sign up for an account, um, you know, there, there are a few things, you know, I, I warn everybody in all the examples, you know, terminate this, you know, kill off the stack, delete the stack when you're done doing this, you know? Um, Cause there are a few things that, you know, necessarily will cost money if you leave them running. But if you leave them running for, a day or two, you know, um, cause you forgot to turn them off after a long evening of, you know, going through examples in the book, it's going to cost you a dollar, you know, it's not going to cost you, you know, right. But if you leave it on for it, a month, it's going to cost, you know, looking when you leave the room. 30, 40, 50 bucks, that, right. For that, be, that inex, inexpensive instance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be much more than that. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's good that you have the forethought to mention that. So you mentioned that in the book. Don't forget to turn this off. Yeah, very yeah. much so. That's good. That's good because it's most yeah. most quick like quick and dirty how tos. They don't care. They're oh. just like here, do this thing on AWS, and then yeah. especially if you're new to it, you may not have that comprehension that what is this going to cost me, right? Yeah, the book is build it, deploy it, change it, delete it. <laughs> And, you know, one of the things you talk about, and I think it's really important, especially for people who maybe haven't had to think this way before, is the fact that cloud formation is declarative. So there is, unless you actually had some kind of persistent data, like database uploads or whatever, it's fine to delete it because as long as you still have the template, you know, you can just redeploy it and it'll be just same as it ever was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the point. You have to be... Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. You know, you have to be comfortable with the idea of destroying your environment yeah. deliberately. There's yeah. great repeatability, and um, you know, it's uh, it once you get used to it, it feels good. You know, deleting it, it and, um, right? Getting back at these computers for all the frustration yeah. they've caused us <laughs> decades. So that's a that's a nuke. That's a good segue into into sort of a broader discussion. But I did have one question, and maybe you touched on this while you were going on about it. The ch- the the table of contents of the book about how long do you think it's going to be when it's done? Not time-wise, but how many chapters do you think it'd be? Do you have like some rough like arc of what else is going to be covered? Yeah, it's 12 chapters. Um, and, um, and, you know, I think I, I, I went through pretty much what we're going to talk about. I mean, the APIs, the serverless, the containers, it's, it kind of goes from really easy to harder and harder, you know? Um, okay. But the examples are all very accessible. It's not, you know, um, 
I, I feel like my goal has been to fill in a lot of the blanks. You know, with a blog, you see a little piece of things. Um, there's there's only one other book about cloud formation. Um, even some of the people that were using cloud formation in the first preview, in the first three chapters, there were things that I talked about that they actually didn't know, which was extremely gratifying to me. But um, only but, one other book, huh? Because that. Yeah, only one other book because I think we yeah. I first used AWS when I was back at Merck and that was probably so that would have meant it was more like seven or eight years ago and I remember cloud formation being a thing. So it's been wow. it's been around for, for quite some time. I mean it's been around since twenty twelve. So um, Yeah. But um but as far as the total length, it's it's gonna be around uh well, the, the guesstimate is 350 pages. Um, okay. And plus or minus. I mean, um, there's there's an exercise that we go through called the weighted table of contents. And, um, you know, it's like, how, how long do you think this is going to be and how hard is it going to be for you to write? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good question to ask at the beginning. <laughs> it's really good. I was going to say, it kind of sounds like, sounds like sprint planning. Yeah, so so it was way over 400 at the beginning, and um, you know I've managed to be perhaps not as verbose as I could be, and and so right now it's tracking at like 400, but I may end up having it, it may end up, you know, hitting that 350 mark or or a little higher. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Chuck, I got to tell you, you're going to have to add at least two more spaces in the book at this point. Yeah, because in the section under Ansible. A uh, red hat needs a space between red and hat. Oh no! <laughs> oh, I'm that guy. Somebody probably caught it. Actually, and it... well, they caught it <clears throat> two paragraphs later because <laughs> it had because red hat has a space, but they didn't catch it in the so, second paragraph. I mean, <laughs> to be frank, our own logo didn't have the space until about what a year ago when they rebranded so well, that's the ibm, IBM different ibm pays attention to those things that's it that's it yeah. no that's been part of the brand prior to the acquisition thank you very much yeah i will be incredibly sensitive and fix that immediately <laughs> well i'm waiting for my confirmation email because i signed up and i didn't get my confirmation email yet so i could offer an editorial suggestion but am i allowed to do that if i haven't bought the book yet yeah yeah you absolutely should once you're in i don't know if you can do it before before you're uh you're in but um yeah i'm not and, and i think my it's not in my spam folder but if you're friggin', previewing it it might not let you yeah friggin uh, gmail <laughs> is not uh it's not coming through speaking of cloud providers it's <laughs> blame gmail <laughs> uh I have a hate-hate relationship with Google. Right. So uh, <laughs> so you mentioned Route 53 and a couple other technologies uh, from uh, Amazon on AWS. I assume that any other Amazon technologies that you talk about are more or less as they relate to cloud formation, right? Not necessarily covering them in depth. There's other books for those. Yes, very much so. Um, there's a really great book um, that Manning has um, called uh, Amazon Web Services in Action. And it's by this guy, um, Michael Wittig and his brother, whose name, An Andreas, I think. And um, that's a very, very good AWS book in general. And it talks a little bit about cloud formation, right? Um, now, 
if you've never used some of the things that I'm using as examples in this, because they're very important building blocks for AWS, like if you've never done auto scaling groups or, you know, um, I'm, I'm using the classic load balancer. Now, chances are, if you've done anything with the web on AWS, you have used both of those, right, potentially. But if you haven't, you're still going to succeed and you'll learn about those things too, right? Um, I will describe them and what they do. Um, you know, they all have, both of those things as really good examples have just like a million settings each, things you can tweak and change, right? And One actually, million settings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like those settings in some cases are easier to understand when you use cloud formation to make them, right? Because they're sort of organized in a better way, as long as you have an example template that describes it, right? But, and I'm talking about versus doing it on the CLI or doing it from the console. Right. I have to admit, when I started, when I started out, I mean, I, I've been using AWS off and on for years, but when I really started to use it for work and actually building workloads in the last year, year and a half, I mean, I'm, I'm, all, I'm exclusively CDK now, but I started off doing cloud formation, but I found that in order to really understand what I was doing, because it was my first time doing an auto scaling group, first time really using a load balancer, um, I would build it manually through the console first just mm -hmm. so i kind of had my it's like i needed a mental map in my head about yeah. how the pieces fit together and then you know like okay figured it out took notes delete everything and you know build it up with the templates instead and i felt better understanding okay he's doing this doing that yeah i absolutely did that too and, and whenever there's something you know that i've never touched um that that you know, I, I need to bring into the mix of something I'm working on. Um, I do, I still do the same thing, right? Um, and it was hard to find sometimes documentation on some of the more arcane concepts, or sometimes it's like, it wasn't that arcane, but I didn't have the right words. Like something you talk about in one of the chapters is the concept of resource signals, um, which, you know, yeah. if you're deploying a fairly complex web application with EC2 instances and a load balancer, and you want to make sure that the application's working before you cut over, cut the group over, resource signals are essential. But yeah, like that was a missing piece for a long time because yeah. like, I knew I needed that, but I didn't know what it was. And I kept running into contradictory information. Yeah, yeah. And that's- I wish that, I'd that, had your book. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. That's actually, remember, you know, a few minutes ago I was talking about one of the things that, you know, somebody who knew probably more about cloud formation than I did, one of the reviewers, that that was one of the things, the way I described mm -hmm. it, they really liked it, you know, because it is, it's very opaque when you're, when you're like seeing it, even mm -hmm. in the AWS documentation, you know, it's basically, you know, you can do these things, right? Um, yeah. Just, and they read the documentation and you're like, I mean, that's great and all, but let's assume I don't already understand how this works. Um, <laughs> you know. yeah. So I really tried to try to be the, the bridge between, you know, the, the here's what it can do and here's how you do it, you know? Um, so well, cool. that's good. That's great. It's a good way to approach that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. So we've danced all around infrastructure as code. 
uh, but we haven't really defined sort of exactly what that is. Now, I imagine that a lot of our viewers probably already get that. They already know what the, the term means, but you want to give us a high level? What what would you call infrastructure as code? Like, sure. How does it I, help mean, I, guess, I guess the textbook definition um, at this point is that it's, um, it's bringing, um, you know, modern software development practices to infrastructure. So, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, some of us here that we were talking about, you know, sunboxes and Unix machines earlier, you know, we used to build our computers and add hard drives to them and do all those things, um, add memory. And, uh, and then along came um, virtual machines, um, which, you know, virtualization created a certain ability to automate certain aspects of, of that hardware and software. Um, and then tools like um, the configuration managers and Ansible, Puppet and Chef came along and let you do a lot of things with what's installed on the hardware and software initially. And then um, now we've, you know, obviously with VMware and all the things that they've done, you know, they dramatically accelerated the automation of the hardware and stuff, software, but you still need to go in and plug in drives and, you know, spend a million dollars on storage and do all those things. But the cloud really made possible um, addressing all this stuff with, um, with code, right? Um, but it is, for the most part, it's declarative and not procedural, although the CDK is kind of bringing it back to procedural to a certain extent, although it's kind of a hybrid, I guess you would say, right? Because um, you end up with, with the declarative code. Um, but um, that's, a good, no, that, that's a good point, though, because you are writing. <laughs> yeah. You are, you're, you're, write, you're writing what amounts to procedural code, but you've got to be you got to be a little careful about that. Yeah, you got to be aware of what, what they're because it, it compiles down to declarative. So unless you, if you're if you're relying on stuff executing in a certain order, it may not necessarily. That's that's for sure. It probably won't actually in many cases, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the other interesting thing about cloud formation is um, there's a little less information about how it does what it does out in the world than most people would like, you know, if that makes sense, um, you know, and, and the order in which it does things, but there's enough so that you, you know, with experience can, can succeed, you know, greatly. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it, it knows when to deploy things other than things that you need to make it wait for, right? Uh, which we talked about the signaling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and, and when you get into the modularization of templates also, there's, there's a lot of rules that come into play there. There's three different ways you can, um, and that's, that's what chapter five is about. Um, there's three different ways you can make templates modular and they each have sort of pros and cons and you might actually use more than one of them in a single project. Um, you can input and output from templates. You can um, nest the templates. You can you know, to um, transforms, to, to plug code into templates. So, um, and then now increasingly people are just going crazy using serverless things, um, you know, to, to 
you know, address. I mean, they've been using serverless for quite some time with cloud formation, actually. Um, but now it's becoming sort of standard. It's hard to find templates sometimes that do sophisticated things that don't use serverless. So, so I hope that answered the question that you asked. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I would say to summarize, infrastructure as code at a very high level is defining your infrastructure in a way that it's templatable, that it's a thing that you can reproduce quickly, uh, regardless of what tool that you're using. Um, so speaking of tools, and this is just a question that I have because of the way that I like to run things, the way I like to manage things. Um, so CloudFormation is very much, as you mentioned, an AWS-specific thing. Um, do you have any thoughts on whether you should design things like this, things infrastructure as code or, or services in general, so that they aren't necessarily dependent on a platform like AWS, maybe using a tool that's a little more agnostic? Yeah, well... Like, like we discussed um, earlier, um, you know, Terraform is immensely popular um, and, um, and it's cross-platform, um, although they just, you know, I haven't really even figured out the details of it, but they, they now have this whole new suite of things on AWS, which is really interesting. It's super popular on AWS. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think there's total validity there. Um, you know, um, I think it's the the one thing I would say is that I think that um, you know hybrid cloud and on premises is something that's going to be around for quite some time, right? Um, and um, although I talk to people all the time in my job who are like, "Hey, you know, I've got um, I've got this old compellent storage." system and it costs like a million dollars and it's going to cost and i need you know i'm running out of room on it i'm thinking about moving to the cloud instead right so the economics are starting to be there for putting you know 200 terabytes into the cloud right and they weren't there i don't know three or four years ago you would go out and buy that storage device right but having said that um hybrid is going to be there, so you need a tool that can support both of those things, um, and and you can use um, cloud formation with um, Terraform. Although you know, I haven't done a lot of that myself. I have used Terraform on some projects, but mostly using um, things that other people have written and tweaking them. Um, there's this Pulumi thing, which does what kind of what the CDK does. Um, you know. Uh, and it's platform agnostic as well. But so then, so that's that part of me. So now I'm also working at, at my job with um, Azure um, a lot. And, um, and we're starting to use the ARM, which is basically like cloud formation. It's also, um, although I think it may have hooks to on-premises, I haven't played with that. Um, and, you know, um, the, uh, and I would, I'm not sure I'd call it the equivalent. I don't know how equivalent it is to CloudFormation. CloudFormation has certainly been around much longer, and there are many more products and services on AWS than there are on Azure today, although Microsoft is running very, very fast um, to catch up. Um, they don't like when people eat their lunch. 
<laughs> Microsoft. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, it and they were happen too often. No, so but they were they not, were late. They don't, know, they don't know how to react. They it's relate deep. to this game. I mean, most people, I, I guess, most vendors relate to this game, except for Amazon. <laughs> they kind of yeah. invented the game. That, that's right. Um, so, so what I would say about that is, you know, the more the more I switch contexts and go over to that side of things and then come back to AWS. Um, obviously I've been working with AWS longer. Um, it makes me like feel terrible about the poor people who are trying to build hybrid cloud, right? With more than one platform, whether it's GCP and, and AWS or Azure and AWS. I mean, it's, it's just an incredibly hard thing to do. Right. Even if you have a, a you know, platform agnostic tool. Right? Yeah. I, I feel like what it forces you to do is limit your tool set, right? You have to limit it to something that's common across all of the resources you have available. Yeah. And look for commonality. Something, something know. like, you know, OpenShift, either, you know, the upstream or the commercial version of an OpenShift type thing. Right. Well, right. so what I mean is if you're writing code for AWS that leverages a bunch of AWS services, and then you try to just port that over to Azure, and Azure is missing a handful of those services, then even if you were to translate the template over, it's just not going to work. We call yeah. that Amazon's competitive advantage. Yeah, right. Also known as vendor lock. Yes, vendor lock-in, which yeah. is the thing we've talked about in the in the past. So, I mean, if you were to take a step back and say, I ignore all of those extra features of AWS, and instead I'm going to... I don't know, containerize my application so it will run anywhere, right? Then, sure, you've got a portable application, but it might not be the least expensive way to run it on AWS. might not be the least expensive way to run it on Azure. It might not be the best way to run it on either of those services, but it is portable, right? So there's trade-offs. That's all I'm getting yeah. at. Like, like yeah. Java was supposed to be. Also, the, <laughs> AWS, the AWS specific services, I think they're Amazon getting back at Microsoft. Maybe. For when Microsoft back in the 90s made the IE specific formatting tags. Like, <laughs> like did they, aren't they the ones that came up with the blink tag in IE? I don't remember. I'll show you. I, I mean, remember, but yes. I don't know, but let's blame them anyway. But I remember the browser wars, and I remember when right. I think it, I think you're right. Microsoft had a special set of tags that only worked in their browser, yeah, and well, they no. tried to convince everyone to use them. And yeah, I had a team. Yeah, well, Amazon's getting back at them. Yeah, I, I worked on a team um, where we had a really big bank as our customer, and this is in you know the mid 2000s, um, and uh, and they were using IE6, right? And, IE. And and they insisted that our our very ultra modern JavaScript interface work with IE6, right? So we stripped out, you know, we spent months making our interface work with IE6 to make this bank happy. And and then shipped it. And they were really happy. And they had 36,000 employees and they were all gonna use our system. And no one from that bank ever logged into our system using IE6, ever. Of course not. <laughs> yeah. IE! It's like, it like just a, a quarter of just doing nothing but nothing. <laughs> but you did what the customer wanted, right? And that's all that yes, matters. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and so I guess, you know, 
And so I assume they company, paid you handsomely for it. Well, they just remained our customer. Oh, you know? okay. Um, so, which was, <laughs> it was big. That was a big deal. Um, meanwhile, I go to this other gigantic company and they're complaining about the performance of our software in IE7, right? And Chrome is here at this point, right? And um, and we're taking advantage of everything it can do. You know, we've got this JavaScript website and um, back in the early days, and um, it was an application and it did things. And, um, and so this very important customer, he's like, uh, this seems really slow. And uh, can you tell me why? And, you know, he's using IE7. And we're like, well, do you have to use IE7? And he's like, no. Um, but some of our applications use IE7, so I have to have it, and that's why I use it. And we're like, well, if you use Chrome, our system will be a lot faster. And he's like, that's all I need to know. Um, Simple as that. Yeah. I, I, I could use Chrome if I wanted to. So I'll live with it being slow because I just don't want to switch browsers. Use, use a less... switch browsers, you can run multiple different browsers at the same time. I'm doing it now. <laughs> I do it every day. It every was day nice. It's like, the, it's like the, the dish detergent. You're soaking in it. Yeah, what? right. I did not want to continue the conversation. Uh, I can't say I blame you. Yeah, right. Sometimes it's best to just walk away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Got him on the head. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this has been a pretty good conversation. Um, unless you had more you wanted to add, I mean, do you want to just cover one more time how uh, how people can find your book? Also, do you have any other books or is this is this it? This is it. I okay. mean, I, I have written a couple of other books. like a So long far. So far. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We'll see. Um, it's a lot of work, I'll tell you. Okay. Um, but it's been fun. It's been, I've learned a tremendous amount. It's been great um, interacting with people. And um, so, yeah, I hope it's really successful for Manning. And um, it's great. So you can get it at um, manning.com slash books slash AWS cloud formation in action. Um, and there is and a link for that in the show notes, folks. So, uh, and I also linked it in the chat because Josh was asking about it. So if you great. don't want to write all that down, you can find it in those two places. <laughs> yeah. And I'm on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to connect or anything, Chuck Gaiman. And, um, and I, I will, uh, you know, I'm on Twitter, Charles Gaiman, actually. Um, so, uh, so MySpace. Yeah, how about no, MySpace? Yeah. <laughs> live journal. I keep trying to convince Nate to put, get us our live journal presence, and he keeps refusing. Yeah, I no, have I'm just, gonna. I have this Discord thing I just found out about. Oh, it is. With that, good old I Discord. Teenagers, um, but um, that's just for gamers. Ignore that. Okay. Yeah, no, Discord's not bad. Hey, gaming, the gaming industry are his customers. He needs to be all up. Yeah, to no, no. I mean, to be honest, it's if if Elegant. I had known in high school, right? If I had known that I could have had a future as a professional gamer, I would have put more time into that instead of learning this Linux thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, really. Dad would have been so pissed. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have worked out for the first 10 years of my career, but still. No. <laughs> it could have made you homeless real quick. Could I have think. made me homeless. <laughs> could have made me homeless. 
That's right. So at any rate, um, I think, I mean, this has been a very informative uh, interview. And um, if you want to give us, uh, if you want to get me your Twitter handle, I'll put it into the show notes if anybody wants to find you that way. Uh, We can also look up your LinkedIn profile and throw that in there if people want to connect with you. Um, Otherwise, like I said, there's a URL to where you can find the book on Manning's website. And we have that code, which is also in the show notes, uh, pod iron sys 20. And we do have some codes for, for a limited time access to the meep run of the book. Uh, so if you're very interested in it, reach out to us, uh, via the usual channels to reach out to iron sysadmin. And as long as we still have codes left, we'll give you one of the codes. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. With that, we're going to go ahead and transition on to our waiting screen. You guys will, we'll be back in a few minutes and then we'll get on with the rest of the show. Yay. All right, folks, and we're back. Uh, Chuck decided he was going to take a hike for the night just because uh, he's had a rough day, or a long day, I should say. Busy, I drove uh, away singing, and he just didn't want to hurt my feelings. That's we don't totally what sure. it was. I, I guess they're involved in a, the, the company he works for is involved in a virtual conference, and um, those are a decent amount of work, so I can, I can understand. I can understand. So... Here we are back. Uh, I don't know how much I have for announcements other than the usual patron update, so I'm going to read through our patrons quick, as usual. Uh, The list has been updated since last time. So we've got a new patron, Solemn, I think is how you pronounce this, S03, no, S0L3MN. Solemn. That's lead speak for Solemn, and I approve, by the way. Totally. Uh, Erwin, Trooper-ish, Linux X666. Maybe it's Linux sys six six six. It's yes. Linux sys six. Yes, six. yes. It's, sorry, the, Linux. It's the hard X to say. Is, the X is. It is. It's hard to say because all the sixes you think and the sys on and the X is. It's totally on purpose. Um, he's sometimes in the chat. So if he's in the chat, you should tell us. Uh, is that on purpose? Uh, Gimpy B Ryan Tux Preacher is also a new. I think a new uh, a new patron. Preach. Um, Mark with a K Dementor John A.K.A. John the Nice Guy. Uh, Mark with a C, Julius, Andy, J, Charles, and 22532. So thank you Notice. to all of you for uh, for being part of our Patreon, because it's really helpful, and it is going to buy us that mixer, I swear. <laughs> 22532, or as his friends call him for short, two. Two. So um, at any rate, um, the, the mixer that I want to buy that I've talked about in the previous shows is a like a $500 or something mixer that incorporates a bunch of the tools that we use on the show, uh, like a soundboard and, um, multiple audio inputs and it's all digital and it lets, it'll, it'll basically up our sound quality a bit. Um, and I'm, I'm like $120 into it. So we're getting there. (laughs) It might take a few more months. I'm looking forward to it because my hope is that you'll actually use the soundboard more than the self-referential every so often. Yeah, we have a soundboard. Soundboard. Here's Marvin. You know. Yeah. So Maybe you know, we, we totally have a soundboard. I don't use it as much now because the the OBS stuff makes the need for it less interesting or less important. Um, but I'm gonna go ahead and I don't even have it set up at the moment. I didn't unlock it or anything. Oh, well. But there was supposed to be a kaboom. There was supposed to be a kaboom, and there will be as soon as the soundboard opens on this old-ass Android tablet that I use. Where's the kaboom? 
as a soundboard. To be an earth-shattering kaboom. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> We've also got the creepy organ, which is fun. You know. Charles is like, I've heard all these before, because I never changed the soundboard, and that's part of the I part of the reason I don't use it much. I just had Marvin and Homer. I never even heard the Takata nope. and Fugue. There's totally the creepy organ. In fact, it's labeled as creepy organ on the soundboard because I didn't know what it was called. Takata and Fugue in D minor, I think. Okay. Yes, D minor. that's right. <laughs> it's definitely a minor key because it's sad. Yeah, I just... Uh, I just know that it's been used in lots of like horror movies and and whatnot. Maybe not horror movies, but also suspense movies. Also, the beginning movies. of Dark Castle on the Macintosh, which was an awesome game. Oh. If you ever played Dark Castle? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, never got, I, I could never get into organ music. No. No. I was raised by uh, an Episcopal family. Organ music was a big part of my so life. Was I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most Americans don't like to eat organ music. They prefer like you know the regular cuts of meat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> trim. <laughs> uh, so I neglected to check Apple to see if we have any reviews, so I'm doing that quick. We probably don't. No, unlikely. Nope, still no new ones. Last one but, was in March. But Mas- Massimo Yezzi, who's an old co-worker of mine, and I feel comfortable saying his name because he used his real name, said, thanks, guys, this was great. And he might still be on here. I don't know. That's so awesome. I'm going to count that as half a review at the very least. I'm, I'm glad it was great. because So, Mass, if you could give yeah. us a formal review, that would be awesome. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I guess it counts as chat engagement if we don't actually say anything in chat, but we see what people are saying in chat and then talk about them while recording live. I've Listen, yeah. I've totally interacted with the chat engagement. today. Yeah. Yes, we, we did the whole, we had the whole Shrek we thing We had the whole on, thing yeah. about onions yeah. having layers and cakes having layers and ogres having layers. Wait, that was a Shrek reference? Totally. Yeah. So listen, That's folks. If Ogres you're, have layers. Ogres if, are like onions. Yeah. What about parfaits? Parfaits have layers. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Yeah. So one thing that, that you might have just learned if you only listen to us on the recording is that, yes, you're missing part of the entire whole multimedia yeah. experience. If you're not yep. watching us live because you're not seeing our pretty, pretty faces and you're not able to interact and not chat. interact with the chat. So. I mean, we still love you if you're listening to us on your oh, iPod. Absolutely. Subaru on the way to your job. Why has it got to be a Subaru, Mark? I don't know. I just, I threw them in, well, and they're using an iPod. So I think I threw them into the late 90s, early 2000s. Well, actually, the 2000s. An iPod yeah. and a Subaru. You have yeah. this whole, like, scene in your head, don't you? I ha- It's a lovely scene. What color, and, is, what color is their hair? Their hair is, uh, <laughs> their hair is kind of dark because they haven't aged and it's not falling out yet. But they, they're working at a job where they have to wear a tie with, and go into the office every day. So they're miserable. So slowly dying but in their Subaru with their doing, iPod. They're slowly dying. But they'd rather be going to the office every day because they married, they married who they thought was going to be the love of their life because she let, she let, like, she let him take advantage of her in high school, oh. but he realizes he's trapped in a joyless marriage with three kids. This and is he's totally dying. This but is really going somewhere. Bit. He does rebel a little bit. He wears khakis. He wears khakis. That's right. <laughs> no, 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 no. He wears cargo pants when he's supposed to be wearing khakis. Yeah, I wouldn't be allowed to get away with that. <laughs> you, can't, you can't wear cargo pants in a tie. You get called into HR. For that. <laughs> that was totally me when I worked my first job. When I was in tech support, when they made us wear sh- freaking button-down shirts and ties, my only rebellion was that I always had a snarky T-shirt under my button-down shirt and cargo pants. <laughs> well, when I had to wear ties at Merck, I would get crazy ties. Some of which I still have, like I the had crazy ties. The Lost World, and 
M and M ties and all sorts of stuff like that. A tie. Remember ties that were a fish? Basically, it looked like there was a fish. Like, the fish tie. Yes, I remember the yeah. fish tie. Those were awesome. I have, I have a, I have a tie that looks very professional, very like, like a thatch work almost pattern. But when you look really close at it, all the little thatches are Jeep grills. Mm. That was my, one of my my favorite ties. I still so have that rebellious. Somewhere. Not rebellious, but you know, it's a little rebellious. Favorite tie. I have a tie with Obi Wan Kenobi some... on it. <laughs> all right so anyway i don't have anything in the way of reviews because uh, i didn't see anything i did just check itunes like i said nothing there so folks leave us reviews so we know what you like and what you don't like maybe you just like everything and that's why you're not leaving reviews you just want us to leave it the way it is so that's that's fine too i guess but mass thanks for the kind words bud absolutely so so good to so good to interact with you in chat today Speaking of chat, anybody have anything cool going on? I see, Mark, you put something in the notes here under chat. I did. About Steam? Yeah, my son was all excited today. I, I had a long day at work, so I wasn't really paying attention to the whole rest of the interwebs. But Josh is like, it's the Steam summer sale. And then he starts texting me. He's like, ah, oh, I've got like $60 worth of stuff in there, but I haven't pulled the trigger yet. And... uh I felt judged because he's like, I'm going to be like that guy who has, you know, hundreds of games and only plays six. I'm like, <laughs> now I'm feeling judged, man. He's like, oh, I wasn't talking about you. Yeah. But that's that's, like that's kind of how I've been treating Stadia. Yeah. So like every every month with a Stadia Pro subscription, they they basically give you games. There's, there's a handful. But sometimes it's one or two. Sometimes this month there was like eight. And so, of course, if they're free, all I have to do is click the button that says claim. So I've been yeah. claiming every free game. Most of them are games that don't even look all that interesting, but I'm claiming them anyway because they're free. <laughs> right. I've got many of those on the Epic Game Store, and I'm looking at my Steam wish list right now, and I it like half of it's lit up, maybe more than half of it. And I'm like, wow, that's a great price. And then I realize, yeah, but am I ever going to actually play the damn thing, much less install it? Right. Why right. is it on my wish list? So, but yeah, so if you're the type of person who just likes to unlock records in, in Valve's database, the uh, the Steam Summer Sale is on now. <laughs> uh, are there achievements for that? Yeah, um, probably. 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 What I, what I haven't, there are, there are two games. Well, okay. I, I don't know if I'm embarrassed or not, but I'm, I'm, I'm up to 290 hours in Animal Crossing New Horizons since March 20th. Wow. Right. That's a lot of hours. 190 hours. Um, yeah, I've played it a lot. I, I swear bit. that game saved my sanity during this pandemic. In my defense, and I shouldn't need a defense. Uh, in my defense, uh, I can play it with my with my kids. And when I say my kids, my youngest is 17. And my middle daughter is 23. And she's actually graduated with a master's degree and is in week two of her new job. But when we were in the pandemic situation, it, it saved all of our sanity. So, so that's been fun. But uh, other than stuff on the Switch, I bought a HOTUS last week, the flight stick with the throttle. Oh, okay. Which I've been playing Elite Dangerous Internet Spaceships with that. Internet Spaceships. And, and Elite Dangerous in virtual reality with a HOTUS, it is so flippin' cool. That sounds like the perfect combination. I, I'd it like. Is. I've been very aware of the fact that uh, VR is is very nice and very cool, but in in some ways it almost feels gimmicky. But for a flight sim, that's perfect. 
Well, and so my one ship is a uh, is a mining vessel that's got like a cockpit that's almost it's like a uh, 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 two hundred. Uh, what, what what would it be like? Imagine like you take a sphere and you cut it in half up and down, and then you take the one half of the sphere and shove it on the nose of the ship. So it's so you got you can you got your view out the front and forward, but you've also got your view below the cockpit, and like you look hmm. down to your feet, and there's like space and asteroids and 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 shit, and you look up, and the cockpit's fully rendered, and it was actually I was doing a mining run the other day, leaning back in my chair as as my drones were collecting the rocks. And I just look up and there's like a, there's an oh shit handle hanging up there. <laughs> and I just I just subconsciously reached up to grab it. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not real. But it looks so real. like that's my brain cool. is fooled. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. I, I played around on a friend's VR setup I guess about a year ago. Um, I'd never used one before. And, you know, I went through just a couple of different games, but there was one where you kind of walk around the world and you could fly. But, uh, you know, I went to the top of a building where I was, you could walk out onto this ledge, you know, like 50 stories up. And so, you know, I've done it and I'm walking. It's like, and intellectually, I know that I am in my friend's apartment. You know, my, my feet are on the ground. I am, but... I, I got to this ledge and it's like I could take the next step. Couldn't do it. Yeah, right. I bet because your I, I literally could not. Your brain push forward. Your brain is tricked into thinking that it, you're it really was, on a ledge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was real enough that just yeah, yeah. which was incredible. I toyed around with Google's uh, Dream VR when I got my first Pixel phone. <clears throat> it's not quite as immersive as as, as immersive as that, but. It is pretty neat, I'll have to say. You know, where I mainly used it for like panoramic photos that I had taken, um, because I, I there was a point where I was taking a lot of these like sphere pictures with my Android phone, and I was able to go back and review a bunch of those, uh, which was really neat. It was almost like you were reliving it, but obviously it's a still still picture, right? You can't interact with it. It doesn't. There's no noise. There's no anything like that. I can only imagine how much more immersive it must be. Uh, when you have all of that as well, all the elements that make it feel more it's, realistic. It's insane. And when this pandemic nonsense clears up enough, you should totally come and check my setup out here. Yeah, we talked about that before all this happened, and now we've been unable but, to do know, so. Nonsense. The other thing I've been doing is one of the other TAMs turned me on to Deep Rock Galactic. Deep Rock Galactic. Okay. And I give that five out of five drunken, violent space dwarves. It's, it's a laugh riot. If you like co-op shooters at all, it's spectacular. So think um, dwarves, like dwarves from like fantasy, you know, with Scottish accents. Yeah. But it's it's like the future, and they're at this. They're they live in this mining station, and there's this planet with of all sorts of they're miners. Bios. Why do you guys stereotype right. like that, Mark? Right. And <laughs> and there's a full there's a full beer system, which is not only gets them drunk but buffs them. <laughs> and then they have amazingly violent weapons because while they're doing their various missions, they're attacked by bugs. So think like like Starship Troopers level of crazy violence. Starship Troopers with d drunken dwarves. This it's, sounds perfect. It's it's, it's <laughs> hilarious. And it's got the best co-op multiplayer drop-in I've ever used. That's cool. So like if I see that my buddy Fakundu and the other guys are playing, 
I can right click on him in Steam and select join his game and I will drop pot into his session if there's like an open slot because you can play with a four man a forge wharf uh, squad yeah and I'll just it'll drop me right where his mission is and I'm I'm there and I get all the rewards and everything and they're happy because now they've got another dwarf to to kill bugs and that's cool and, and do the objectives nice. and it's very it's very well done it's it's got its tongue firmly set in its cheek and what's not to love about dwarves yelling rock and stone well 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 doing all sorts of, of crazy space dwarf things i see you already have that in the uh, the show notes so that's cool i do deep rock galactic that's cool so uh it's on so Steam. so charles uh, you want to give us an update on how your uh, pandemic cycling is going <laughs> Well, as, uh, as Nate alluded to, um, <laughs> about three weeks ago, I had a pretty nasty bike accident. Um, I'm recovering, but lacerated my chin, um, broke my arm near the elbow, uh, skinned up a bunch of stuff. It just kind of generally landed on the right side of my body and made it unhappy with me in various ways. But I'm healing. Wow. Um, so I'm walking now. I'm not biking. No biking for a few more weeks. Uh, cramped my style a little bit, but honestly, it's gotten so hot out. I don't know if I could have kept up the 10 miles a day or not. I'm just sweating through my, everything I own. Wow. 10 so, miles I mean, is a, a decent bike lane. ride. Yeah, so that's a bummer. Though it's been interesting to navigate the um, healthcare system um, in the time <sighs> of a pandemic when you do not have said p- pandemic. But I think that was the first question that um, everybody asks you, it's like, you know, have you had it? Are you being tested? Have you been exposed to anybody? You know, take your temperature everywhere. And, right. And like they ask, you know, have no family members accompany you into the, um, you know, into the doctor's office or whatever. Cause, you know, they just don't want, mm-hmm. um, they don't want the possible they don't want exposure. Any more, yeah. They don't want any more people in there than necessary. But, you know, I mean, it's obviously there are exceptions. That first night when I crashed, um, you know, I couldn't really walk particularly well. And so, you know, Liz was pushing the wheelchair around the um, urgent care as they started to, you know, put me back together. But otherwise, um, it's all right. But I have to imagine that, you know, for a lot of people having to navigate some of these spaces by themselves is it's kind of tough. Yeah, right, right. My, uh, as we as we talked about before the show, my mother-in-law recently had surgery. It was follow-up surgery to surgery she had before the pandemic, um, and she just came home today. But the weird sort of rules that had to be followed for visitation while she was in the hospital and dropping her off, and like normally this goes like you someone someone accompanies you to the hospital and then you sit there in the waiting room until they're done and then when they're done you get to go visit them in the recovery room and then you get to go sit with them in their room right and make sure everything's okay all that's axed you basically you it's like you kick them out of the car on the curb and you leave because that's what the hospital wants you to do they don't want any exposure at all to you or anybody other than the person they're operating on right and it's all very weird it feels very weird so so yeah i don't know what that's going to look like on the other side of this if uh, the, the hospitals in general are going to be changed or if once uh, this particular pandemic has passed, we've uh, we go back to something more like it was before. I, I don't know. But I don't know. I mean, like, uh, you know, 
I've been over at the big Lehigh Valley facility in uh, Cedar Crest and the whole like waiting rooms, check-in areas, they've all been completely reconfigured. They would mm-hmm. partitions and whatnot, just try to stop people from bunching up. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost funny, right? Not this whole situation, but <clears throat> as businesses are starting to allow, like restaurants specifically, are, are starting mm-hmm. to allow you to come and take curbside pickup, um, a number of restaurants just basically use their existing a dining area, they rope off all the, the chairs and tables and whatever, and they make you a little path up to the counter and you pick up your food and you leave. Well, uh, the Chinese restaurant here in town, I don't know if this is a trend for other Chinese restaurants. They were closed for about a month, the beginning of all this, maybe two months where other restaurants were open for pickup. They were not. And I thought that was kind of weird. Uh, even if you tried to call them, it was nothing but a voicemail that said, uh, due to concerns over the, the health, risks of coronavirus were closed. I'm like, oh, well, that's unfortunate, whatever. When they reopened, they had built like a pickup area at their main door. They literally put up walls and like this big plexiglass. It's like walking up to the the ticket counter at a movie theater now. Just the Chinese restaurant. Every other restaurant in town just basically said, okay, we're going to rope off everything and, you know, whatever. The, um, the, The place near us here in Easton did that. Really, they, they did the same thing, bit and they built a pickup window. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's so. Hmm. I wonder why. That's a trend. Well, is it a well, cultural thing? Like, are they well, more used to this in Asian countries that they, they were just ready to do that? You know. <laughs> well, I mean, Asia certainly had the experience of the SARS ap- epidemic, and we yeah. really didn't. But right, I don't know. By rem- that's something I remember is like in. February and March, before like before the shutdowns, um, Chinese restaurants were already taking a fall off in business, um, you know, because you know China coronavirus. Not that it had anything to do, you know, with a Chinese restaurant in this country, but they were already right. starting to see that um, that effect on their business. So maybe it's their way of showing that they're taking it seriously. That's sort of a PR effort. Could be, could be. Yeah, there is sort of a I'm negative not- stigma with Asian cultures right now. No and thanks to sure, current leadership. <laughs> I'm not sure how legit this is, but I had heard that a lot of the, at least a lot of the Chinese restaurants regionally here get a lot of their supply out of New York, which yeah. obviously was hit hard. Yeah. Earlier yeah. That that's that's a good point. Yeah. So that could have had an impact. Mm-hmm. So on the exercise front, uh, I've talked for several shows now about the fact that my, my wife and I have been running and we're still doing it. It's good. It's actually like, I always feel like any sort of exercise routine, uh, you'll be like gung ho for a week or two. And then if it lasts longer than that, it becomes a habit. Right. 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 You got to do it long enough for it to be a habit. Right. And then you got to just like, I didn't go on my walk one of the recent days when it was like armpit Vietnam level heat and humidity. <laughs> yeah, right. But I definitely, it, it, I definitely kind of felt it a little bit. You like miss it, right? You do miss it. Because yeah. It does a few things. It, it definitely makes my blood sugar lower. It definitely, and it gives me more calories I can eat in yummy stuff. That's important. It is important because so, yeah, I like we, to eat. We've been running, like the the program we're using, this couch to five k that I've talked about, uh, I've heard of it. 
uh, suggests three three runs per week, right? You run like we we've been doing it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, and they have a definite program lined out. Well, where we're coming to the end of the program, and on several occasions now, we've decided that outside of the program, we've taken extra runs because we just generally enjoy going out and doing it. So, so what are you going to be able to run a five k? So the program is laid out that it's all time-based up until a certain tipping point. And then it says, you know, run this many minutes or this many miles. And we're not up to the pace. Or miles. Right. Well, so we're not up to the pace yet where the number of minutes they recommend is also the number of miles. So basically they expect you to be running at a 10-minute mile, and we're just not there yet. Um, we might be able to do that, but it would I think it would be very tough on my wife who's still – She's getting much better at running, uh, but she doesn't have that conditioning yet. So we're taking it easy. I don't want to. I don't want to give her reason to not like it by being pushed Probably too hard. You don't right? want to drive her off, right? And it's not like we're training for a marathon or something. So I don't really care how far we go. You know what I mean? I'm. I care more about getting out there and getting it done and having the sense of accomplishment that goes along with that. So, so yeah, we're up to almost two miles at this point, and the program. If we were to equate the minutes to miles, would be closer to three miles. So we're not at not at the pace that they think we should be at. But it's not like it's uh, you know whatever. It's a reference point, right? So um, I'm hoping that once we're done with the program, which will be like next week, uh, we can just go into our own sort of routine, which will get us there eventually. You know. So that's kind of what I've been up to, and my Jeep is still broken. Because I'm waiting on parts. Mm. <laughs> I got one car. The Volvo needs to be inspected, but I I barely have fired the thing up. Like I, it's I'm due to drive it around the neighborhood again. I wonder if it'll start when I go out to it in the driveway. Yeah. So mine. I forget how in depth I talked about this on a previous show, but uh, basically I had a bunch of engine work that had to be done, seals that had to be replaced, and oh, oh, and whatnot. Oh, oh. Yep. I, I feel like I've talked at least to you about this because that's how you reacted yeah, when I said it. Um, well, when you when someone says CLI bark, so I mean that's. But the the three things I needed to replace, which in themselves are not all that difficult, required that I disassemble a whole bunch of things just to get to them, right? So I decided since I'm not supposed to be going anywhere anyway, now's a great time to do that. Well, it's been a month and a half now. <laughs> hey, I need to contact tech support about aligning this printer that I had the replacement part before I left for vacation in March. Yeah. And here we are in friggin' June and I haven't dealt I haven't dealt with it. Right. So in my case, I have the three things that I wanted to replace replaced, but when I was disassembling things, there were these bolts in the exhaust that I had to take out. And anyone who's ever worked on a car knows that exhaust work always sucks. Because exhaust heats and cools and heats and cools and heats and cools. Everything gets all seized up. Everything gets rusty. Everything gets just like nasty. Uh, so I decided since I was able to get them out, but they were difficult, I'm just going to replace these bolts. So I go back to Chrysler, who was making the Jeep at the time that I, I guess they still are technically, but they're owned by Fiat now. I went back to them and said, I need these bolts because they're kind of specialized. They don't make them anymore. <laughs> Apparently, Chrysler has this thing where they don't make parts for vehicles that are over 10 years old. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I've, I've basically, for the past three weeks, been hunting around for Mopar parts dealers that actually have these things in stock. Because that's essentially what you have to do once they're discontinued. There's probably a stock of them, a huge stock of them, but that's slowly dwindling. 
And at this point, that's five years ago that my vehicle was 10 years old. So uh, it's been it's been a bit of a of a hassle. I got the I got half of the parts that I need today. The other half are on their way to me. So hopefully by this weekend, I can start putting my Jeep back together. <laughs> and then I'll be very happy that I'll have my my my, my Jeep fixed. So I'm sure a lot of sysadmins care about that. But maybe you can at least relate to the the concept of being stuck in the middle of a project that you can't finish, whether it's a car or something else. Mm. It's a little sometimes, frustrating. Sometimes there are just no, no shits to give. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So I guess that means we can talk about the news, right? The news. I don't have a flashy uh, transition screen to get us to the news, unless I go to the waiting screen and back again, but that would be silly. That sounds silly. So I'm just going to play our, our old transition music like I did last week. Here we go. You know, it feels so much more natural when I can hear that music. It when does. I, when I play it through OBS, I can't hear it, and that's really frustrating. I have to figure out a way to make that work. <laughs> it's all about entertaining us, folks, not you. And we're entertained by the music. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> well, no, I think that's... So, I don't know if anybody noticed, but I was... I, I like, drew a blank when I went to introduce the show this morning. Not this morning. At the beginning of the show. And that's because I usually have the cue of the intro music to follow on to. And now I can't hear it. You guys can hear it on the stream, but I can't hear it here. So I'm going to have to, like, play it in my earphone or something when I do that from now on so that I have the cue. It felt very disconnected. I don't know. I didn't. I don't like doing it. <laughs> but anyway, we're here to talk about the news. And some news from this week, or yeah, I guess it was just earlier this week, is that Apple, oh, so this, this article's from 9to5Mac, surprise. Uh, it's about Apple, it's from 9to5Mac. Uh, Apple is switching away from Intel. So I don't know if you, it, I don't know how many of you remember, but maybe 10, 12 years ago, Apple switched from, what were they? They were Motorola-based, what were they, risk processors? There's PowerPC. Power the, PC. Original, the original Macintosh yeah. in 1984 used the Motorola 68000 chip. Okay. Then mm -hmm. with the Power Max, Apple switched to the Power PC, and the Power, Power PC. PC could emulate the 68K family. And then the big thing was Crapple going to Intel. Yeah. And and so yeah. I can tell there's how you feel about that from whole the whole generation of people that that think that the Mac has always used Intel, and they're wrong. Yeah, so but that's... I was saying, the last power PCs were uh, G4s, G5s. Yeah, you're, um, yeah, you're probably talking before 2010. Yeah. I don't know when they switched over. It might have been... I remember when it happened, because you know I was, I was doing desktop engineering at that time, and on the one hand, we were like, thank God, because it meant we could... You know, for a lot of our computer labs, the college I worked at, we could get Intel iMacs and put uh, boot dual camp windows. On them. Yeah. Yeah. And just dual boot windows. Both sides are joined to AD. And we didn't have to have redundant labs. That being right. said, 
for the power PC systems that we still had, they very quickly became second class citizens because Gene just you could just watch support for um, power PC vanish. Yeah. Like nobody was maintaining software for it anymore. Right. So apparently what we're gonna see now is the same transition again, except now it's from Intel to ARM. So yeah, they, anyone so in now Anyone Sorry. who's familiar with uh, with mobile architectures know that ARM is generally used as a mobile processor. Apparently, it's come far enough, and we have another article about this tonight, which will which may floor some of you. It floored me when I read it, but apparently, ARM has come far enough along that it can be used as a desktop process not processor now, and that's what Apple intends to switch to. And the article on Nine to Five Mac is basically about some of the reasoning behind that. Uh, they posit, or maybe suggest. I don't know if this is this is validated anywhere, but they suggest that um, the reason for this was due to due to a lot of the issues in the Intel Skylake processor. So uh, the title of the article is "Former Intel Engineer Says Skylake Problems Were the Turning Point for Apple's ARM Mac Transition." So well, sorry, both of you were trying to say things while I was saying all that. So go ahead, get your thoughts in. <laughs> so. I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a sub bullet. This is the wiki article, and I know it's Wikipedia, which anyone can edit. But I just vetted it; it's good. This essentially gives the tale of of the Macintosh processor line. Oh, you threw it in the and notes. Okay, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it in the notes. that'll be in the show so, notes, folks. The last, the, so Mac OS transitioned off of uh, PowerPC in 2009 with Snow Leopard. Prior to that, it could right. run on Snow Leopard, or it could run on either PowerPC or yeah. Intel. I thought it was around 2009, because that was when I went to the college that Charles is still at, and that was around the time I remember this switch. But it was also around the time when I first got real exposure to Macintosh systems, because I was never really a Mac fan, but in higher ed, they're very popular, right? So, yeah. uh, so, so at any knew, rate... You never knew the, uh, the predecessor to OS X. You never knew no, Mac I did. OS prior to BSD. I did because of the oh, role yeah. I worked at the ISP I worked at. When I was in tech support, I had to support those things. And it was a platform uh, I wasn't very familiar with, so I forced myself to learn them via a couple um, Motorola Macs that they still had there. I don't think they were even PowerPC Macs. They might have been Power. They must have been PowerPC by then. Not necessarily. They could have been running the... the I want to say I had a 68K Mac on my desk. It was a very old machine. But it, was it black and white? It was not black and white. It was color. Okay. But anyway, um, I do remember like the, the blue-colored G3 Macs and the G2 Macs. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, yes, OS 8 and 9. I'd seen OS 7. I don't think I've ever seen OS 6 before. System 6 and System 7. Sorry, is that what they were called? They were called mm -hmm. system. They were called. It, it was called System Seven up through System Seven, and then they called it Mac OS Ten. Well, there was and an OS. Fair number of, there was of an eight and nine. High school or uh, middle school. I do remember eight and nine. Yeah, I forget whether it was System. I forget whether it was System Eight or System Eight and System Nine. I, I think it was. They didn't call it Mac OS until. I thought they were Mac calling OS them. 10. I thought they were calling them Mac OS eight and nine. I could be wrong. Well, whatever. The I, point. I'm old. I could be yeah. <laughs> misremembering stuff. The the point here is that this article is all about uh, this guy. They were able to to uh, uh, to interview. His name's. I guess you pronounce that Francois. Francois. Fran F R A N C O I S. I think that's Francois. 
I'm not going to try to pronounce the last name because I'm going to butcher it more than more than I might butcher Francois. Uh, says that this this uh, this person was a former Intel engineer, and he basically said that Skylake was so horribly managed and horribly tested and horribly just dealt with from the beginning that Apple has decided we're not going to stick with Intel now. We're going to go with ARM. Well, Intel's been shitting the bed for years now with they the have. side channel attacks and everything. Yeah. Like, Intel, you had one job. One job! Yeah, make me a CPU that isn't riddled with security holes. Okay, here's Skylake. Oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, by the way, it was classic Mac OS up through OS, up through uh, 9. And that's where then, then once they switched to the BSD-based uh kernel that's when they started mac os 10 as we know of it so they were calling it classic mac os before os 10 came out once os 10 became a thing they called it classic because okay it existed as an emulation layer i remember os 9 and 10 yeah. existed in parallel for a short amount of time and i think that's when the yeah. classic moniker came out yeah, because OS ten had the had it as a compatibility layer because they had to everybody had to rewrite their software yeah. to to use the new because it was essentially then the world's prettiest Unix. Right. One could still argue that Mac OS ten is the world's prettiest Unix. Maybe. Potentially. <laughs> potentially. At least for the it's, it could be considered the world's prettiest Unix for the least amount of effort. How's that? There you go. I would say that you can you run can tweak, you can tweak the heck out of X on a Linux box and it can look gorgeous. You can run OS X and not even know it's Unix or Linux. Well, I guess it is Unix technically. It is. So Unix. Uh, it's, it, it, it actually, it's all, it's all BSD. Yeah. It's based, based. on BSD. It has nothing to do with Linux actually. Right. Different so system and everything. at any rate, this article it's is like, all, Shut up! it's all full of conjecture about why they left Intel. Um, but the bottom line is, Apple's leaving Intel. They're going to go with ARM, which I think is actually kind of an interesting move. Um, interesting. Well, I mean, at least a lot of open source software is already already supports mm -hmm. ARM. Raspberry so, Pi, right? Yeah, yeah. Raspberry Pi is ARM. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I haven't had trouble getting packages for the Pi, so I don't think this is going to be... Well, and the thing is, like for those of us who are still... You know, I'm going to have this Intel hardware for a while, but Intel's still got a huge install base. So I don't think it's going to be as disruptive as when you know, Apple stopped supporting PowerPC. And if you still had PowerPC architecture, you were screwed because there was like nothing that you could run on it. Sorry, we're all busy responding to chat. <laughs> well, I'm I'm flexing because I used to be a Mac guy before it was before the hipsters took it over. Before the hipsters, I was a Mac guy before it was cool to be a Mac guy. Doesn't that make you a hipster? No, isn't that what the hipsters I say? I didn't hang out in a coffee shop with it <laughs> working on my screenplay. Okay. What if I complain about the way every other release of OS X broke Active Directory support? Wow, screw Active Directory. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I agree. What, but if it's what you got, um, yeah, no, that's fine. Like, how hard is it to make a freaking directory service? Except when you don't got it, and then you decide to implement it. I'm not bitter at all, though. Moving on. <laughs> yes, you're right. We should just keep using Samba as a domain controller. What could possibly go wrong? I didn't say that was better. Just being clear. 
It's IDM, man. Free IP. Listen, we had no Val and we pitched it. I mean, come on. What what was wrong with us? Anyway. Nothing. I mean, that's what you do when you have no Val. <laughs> so moving on, this is from what appears to be a local news station, WCJB. WCJB. So it's an affiliate of, of ABC, apparently. Um, so Google inter- introduces fact checking to image search. So in a world full of social media um, fake news, I guess I hate to use that buzzword, but it is really kind of what it's boiled down to, right? Um, Google has now decided to start applying uh, a fact checking wow. service to Google image search results. So much like when you're on Facebook and that little thing pops up at the bottom that says that this may not be true, now you'll be able to see that on Google image search results instead of just Google text results, which apparently it's already there for Google text-based results, although I've never seen it, I don't think. Um, So it does make me wonder if they're going to start returning results that are more factual if they're getting fact-checking, right? Almost makes sense, doesn't it? So if I want to be able to find my lies, it's going to be harder. Yeah, and then you get into the whole argument of, are these third-party fact-checking organizations, are they biased? Do they have an agenda? All that stuff. Also, this article is six sentences and 95% of the web page (laughs) are crappy ads. It really is. Betty featuring boobs. Yeah, it really is. Some real, some animated. So So, uh, be careful uh, looking at this article, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on WCJB. So listen, Gainesville, I've, Florida. I've noticed this. Excessive boobs. It's Florida. I've noticed this. I've noticed this on a lot of smaller publications, especially things that used to be magazines. It's like they were floundering to keep revenues up when magazines started to die. Yeah, this obviously that. isn't a magazine. But what's that? Sorry. I'm closing the article. I don't need to be flagged as looking at porn. Okay. There's totally no porn here. My browser must be blocking it because I don't actually see those ads. There's actually not really porn. I'm just being. I would hope not. There are. Listen, these are legitimate news people. Okay, there wouldn't be porn. Maybe innuendos. Maybe almost porn, but not actual porn. Yeah. Anyway, this article comes from Microsoft, which you probably won't find any ads that feature boobs. Let's look and see. No, I don't see. That's kind of sad to me. No, but there's there's, Microsoft having a day. Yeah. Right. there's some happy IT folk who are busily working in various clip art. Indeed, indeed. So photos. I I could be wrong in the the reading into this 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 headline that I'm about to do, but uh, it sounds like Microsoft is trying to extend. Um, they have a program called Security for All, perhaps, in which they're trying to better platform security. Am I wrong here? Anybody? I don't follow Microsoft enough to know all their marketing buzzwordy things. But okay. It looks like, it's look like they're using the window defender technology, yeah. which is they provide that with windows for the past couple of versions. So you don't actually have to yeah. buy a, a malware detector and it works pretty well, I think. So this, this feels like an extension to them trying to better platform security. I could be wrong, uh, but the, the article's headline is Microsoft continues to extend security for all with mobile protection for Android which uh, basically, you know, they've got another security offering for Android users. Um, There are other offerings on the Android platform for 
you know, security and sort of app scanning and analysis to try to help make sure that your device is yeah. is secure. Um, this, I, this looks like the thing they already mandate. I forget what we use at the hat, but it looks like the thing they mandate that we use on personal devices already in that same swim lane. Okay. So um, the reason I included it was simply that I feel like Microsoft is doing a better job now than they ever have for endpoint security. And this is just one more piece to that puzzle, right? So it used to be when you had a Windows machine, you were almost required to go and pay for some extra software to protect it, right? And then there were some free alternatives to that, which were never, you know, they might work, but they had ads built into them and all kinds of stuff. Their goal was basically to, to go and get you to pay for, uh, excuse me, for another product that uh, was somehow bigger and better, or maybe just didn't didn't contain ads. Uh, and now Microsoft is making a, a pretty valiant effort to make sure that it, I mean, it was just the Windows platform was protected by default by incorporating their own antivirus, which is the Windows Defender that you were talking about, and malware detection and protection. And now they're trying to extend that to other platforms, which I think is a good thing. You know, you can argue about the quality of Microsoft software all you want, but the fact that they're trying, you know, I think is actually kind of a good thing. I don't know if it mentions in here if this is a free tool or if you've got to buy it or not. But I know Windows Defender is free with Windows, so this could be the same case. I don't know. Included is what I would say. Yeah, it's included with Windows. So, at any rate, you can now run Microsoft's malware detection thing. Do they say what it's called? Uh... Microsoft Defender ATP. ATP. You down with ATP? What does ATP stand for? Yeah, you know me. It sounds like terrible because yeah, we we use the acronym in the first sentence. Let's see if we can find them expand the acronym. Uh, do they ever expand the acronym? They These say they've got it for Mac. Ever expand the acronym in the article? So let's look at the Microsoft Defender ATP Tech Community. Maybe, maybe that ex expands the acronym. No, you just maybe it's not an acronym and it's a word they've made up. It's all capital letters. It's an all capital word they've made up. Ah, <laughs> uh, my Eng my inner English major is furious at Microsoft right now. This might be the fattest code, the sweetest Dear code Google. in the galaxy, but the fact that I don't know what this acronym means is driving me nuts. Well, that's one of the things that drives me crazy at any company. I hate that. At, I hate oh my that god. So, People start hurling acronyms around so, and they assume I know. Yeah, I know, right. So we have an index of acronyms so you can translate the acronyms, right? Stop. That was a thing that I that I was introduced to during my onboarding. And it's like the 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 <laughs> the freaking page <laughs> the index is like forty pages long. It's and, and tremendously is, huge. We have, we have we have overloaded acronyms. Yeah. So the indeed. acronyms are contextual. It's like C. Right. You've you've overloaded the expression. So you might you might blue screen if you use the wrong acronym. So um, this is funny. That was a programming joke. For those so of you that get it. anyone who's familiar with the security industry or even some fringes of the security in, in, industry know that there is an acronym called APT, Advanced Persistent Threat, and it's 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 thrown around as any threat that uh, you just like if you can't defend against the thing, you just call it an APT, right? Oh, it was an advanced persistent threat from a 
from an advanced actor that was targeting us. That's what it means, right? It's like it's a targeted attack that you couldn't possibly have defended against. And in some cases, yes, that's valid. And in other cases, it's just IT people trying to say, like, I couldn't possibly do this or I'm too lazy to figure it out. So now Microsoft has made Office 365 Advanced Threat Protection. That's what ATP that's what stands is. for. I found it by Googling. That's what I did. That's what I, that's what I did. I Googled it. Advanced Threat Protection. So it's it's almost like... It's like, was this by accident or did they take APT and change two of the letters so that it would look somehow familiar to security professionals? So (laughs) I don't know if anyone listening right now, either live or on the recording, works at Microsoft. But, yeah, learn how acronyms work. (laughs) You know, when it's a press release like this, you you need to. Yeah, right. Expand the stupid acronym. Tell us what it means. We don't all know. We don't all know. And if anybody from me off and now I'm not going to buy it. If anybody from Microsoft listens to this show, I'd actually be impressed. So uh, let us know if you do. If you really love Linux, you'll you'll expand acronyms properly. Right. And in fact, Uncle Mark a large. If you work for Microsoft and you want to defend your use of ATP, let me know. You can come be on the show and talk about it. Because you annoyed Uncle Mark. Right. I just I, I think that's a funny acronym. I mean, it makes sense, right, in the way they're using it, but I yeah. think it's it's almost contrived. I shouldn't have to Google to find out what it means. Though. No, you're probably right. So anyway, I'm, I'm absolutely right. If creative you have an Android device or a, or apparently an app an, an Apple device that it's it mentions in the article that they already had this for Apple, you can get a Microsoft piece of threat detection software on your Apple device. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, right. Can I run it on my Linux box yet? Microsoft Hearts uh, Linux. So who likes snow cones? Do you want to build a snow cone? <laughs> Come on outside and play. Here we go for the second time on this show. <laughs> I like snow. I like cherry snow cones. Cherry Although snow the cones. The blue ones are good too. Do you like snow cones? Do you like snow cones that are full of data? I like snow cones and I cannot lie. <laughs> anyway. So this um, article is from, uh, what is this? Analytics uh, in India mag. Yeah. That's what that says. Okay. A I M. Isn't that an- AOL is messenger family. It knows nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible acronym. Or that's a terrible name to use. Isn't it? <laughs> For your data storage device. You know nothing, Amazon Snow. <laughs> so Amazon has a new product. So anyone who's looked into moving large amounts of data into Amazon is probably familiar with things like their Snowball, which is like a server they'll send you that's just packed with disks and, a, and, a, and enough processing power to basically move a bunch of data into it and then move it off to AWS. And maybe there's other uses for it. Maybe you keep it on-prem and actually use it as like an extension of... Uh, AWS's, uh, what is it, S3. Um, Now they have a tiny device they're calling the Snow Cone, which is in the same family. It sounds like it does a very similar thing, except it's much smaller, and it's meant to be like an edge device. So you can keep this in like a kiosk somewhere, or like in a small office, or whatever, where you need some storage. Looking at a picture of it, it looks like it fits a drive, maybe two drives. So I don't know how much this thing can possibly hold, Eight terabytes. Eight terabytes. That makes sense for two drives. I'm just, I'm reading the article. Yeah, right. I guess I didn't read that part of the article. I did read through the article to find out what the hell a snow cone is. You know what's concerning me now? What's concerning you? What's concerning me is that 
edge seems to be one of those it's turning into like an annoying buzzword that everybody's going to feel they need to use just yes. like they started to need to use cloud 10 yes. years ago yes now the next buzzword that you're gonna have to sprinkle all your conversation with is edge so what and- what bothers me and it even bothers me with some of the messaging that i'm getting from the higher-ups at red hat is that edge always meant like this thing on my desk this is the edge my laptop is the edge. This is the very extremity of the network. It is the end point. It is the edge, right? Now, all of a sudden, we're using edge to describe a data center, an on-prem data center, or we're using it to describe small kiosks and things like that. And I I don't like how we're muddying the term. <laughs> it's just me, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and I've got the extra thing going on in my head. Wherever anybody says the edge, I think of the lead guitarist from, from, from U2. Edge, give us a riff because he's he goes by the edge was that his name uh, it's probably not his christian name but that's <laughs> that's you know you had bono and the edge sort of like uh sort of like the guitarist from uh, guns and roses was slash yeah he had it right. slash, slash give us a riff because edge was already taken yeah so you two so at any rate oh now you're gonna look that up yeah edge <laughs> comma the Although his real name is apparently David Howell Evans. But. Well, it's got an E in it. Evans, Edge, you know, it's close. Come on, Edge, give us a riff. <laughs> so at any rate, um, you can read the article to find a little more information about what this thing does and what what the intended use is. But it sounds like it's a tiny snowball. So it's a snow cone. I do want to know if it's cherry, though. I always like the blue snow cones. I don't know what flavor they were. Was it blueberry? I don't think it was. It was they the the flavor was blue. The flavor was blue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Something that appeared in nature. <laughs> so on to the next. I don't know if you guys can hear the uh, six-year-old thumping around the hallway. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I think the six-year-old was saying, "Wrap it up." She's just drunk. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wait, no. <laughs> Harper, stop drinking. So my next uh, next article here is from ZDNet, and this is the one I was alluding to earlier. Uh, ARM and Linux take the supercomputer top five hundred crown. So if you're not familiar with the supercomputer top 500, it's basically a list of all of the top supercomputers in the world based on benchmarks and whatnot. Um, I had a little bit of exposure to this before I left higher ed because I had just started a role as a uh, HPC admin, Um, which, by the way, Charles, I hope you guys are doing well. (laughs) I believe we are, actually. So the top 500 is basically a list of the top 500 supercomputers, I think, in the world. It's not just in the U.S. It's in the world. And um, what they're saying is that this ARM-based, RHEL-based, so it's, it's you know, valid here, right? ARM and RHEL-based supercomputer has hit the top of that list. Uh, it's based on, I think it said Fujitsu's processors, or it's maybe it's built by Fujitsu. No, it's Fujitsu processor, Fuji, Fujitsu ARM processors. And it's running RHEL, and it is the fastest supercomputer currently in the world. And that's pretty damned impressive for these little CPUs that were designed to be low power consumption in the freaking computer in your pocket, which is pretty cool, right? 
So I guess ARM really has come a long way. Not only is Apple switching to ARM, but one of the top supercomputers in the world is also running ARM. Now, I didn't read... It's a little bit of an ARMS race. Right. I didn't read deeply enough to see, like, how many nodes this thing was running and how they were able to get to the top of the list. It could be that they have, like, 82 billion nodes, and that's how they were able to get the processing power to get to the top of the list. Maybe. But, um... Well, it's 48 core. Do you... Bro, do you even lift? It says it's a 48-core machine. Look, did either of you even read the articles before we started the show? No, but I read I read really fast. You read really fast. Well, so, <laughs> I, and I, I comprehend, apparently. You Bro, comprehend you better than me, apparently. What I like is that this, this machine is almost three times faster than second place, which is the IBM Summit system. Pretty cool. Which, which makes me happy. 48 core. That does sound impressive. Does it say what, does it give us any specs on the Summit system? Or is that just uh, you? Uh, it gives us a link to the, to, to the government website where apparently it's hosted, which I'm now following. It's in Oak Ridge, which means that there's probably evil research going on there. Totally. Oak Ridge, Department of Energy's Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Oh my God, they're going to tear open a rift in space. I mean, 48 core. Oh, hi, Dan Jacobson. You're sad that Summit's ass was kicked, aren't you? He's one of the guys on the on the page with it. <laughs> Bronson Messer's not happy now. Paul Kent is furious. So <laughs> uh, the the summit. <laughs> I'm such a dick. Um, the summit has four thousand six hundred and eight nodes. Oh my god! The, the node performance is forty two teraflops. There's no way a 48 core ARM system beat that, dude. I don't. I don't know what they're. It sounds like they're not comparing apples to oranges at this point. But you know what this is running? You know what this sucker's running? The summit. What? If you you tell me it's running like SLES or something, I'm gonna or Windows. It's running a Windows machine. Rel 7.4. Oh, okay. So they actually need. They need to patch because they're. That's it. If they went to rel eight, they'd be better. <laughs> well, no, because seven dot, you know, we're at seven dot. Uh, did we drop nine? Nine is yeah, in beta. So, yeah, so they need to be running seven dot seven to be supported. Totally. Seven was the last one with the EUS. They're out of yeah, support. So 7.0. Guys, you got a patch. They're out of support. They need to update. <laughs> call me, yo, yo, Fujitsu's? call me. Oh, call this me. this says it's it's running Fujitsu's forty eight core A sixty four FX system on a chip. So that's each CPU is 48 cores. Oh, oh, so how many? So what was so, that about how you comprehend know. better? You know, <laughs> in my defense, I've had a couple ounces of bourbon. <laughs> Became the first ARM-powered supercomputer so to be notes? dubbed the fastest computer in the world. It says 415.5 petaflops. Sweet. I'm just going to do a text search for the word nodes and see if it tells us. Yeah. Nope. Ain't ain't listed. Yeah. Nice. What if I click on this link? Does this link tell us anything? And you about can it? still barely run modern Microsoft Office on it. It's still dogs. Yeah, the system has four thousand three hundred fifty-six nodes at forty-eight cores each. Dude, we're going to so accidentally invent Skynet. It's not even funny. Yeah. I don't want to hear know, that's talking about the that's talking up. that's talking about the summit. What what's this one? I want to know how many nodes this one is. Yeah. Oh, that was a dumb noise. 
Number three. No, tell me how many nodes this. Uh, I guess we, I guess they're not going to divulge that. Just that it's better and faster. Yeah. So anyway, there's an ARM-based supercomputer at the top of the top 500 list. So that's you know neat. I think it's neat. I it's absolutely neat. Let's just not make Skynet by mistake. I picture like four billion Raspberry Pis in a stack. <laughs> Running forty eight like running forty-eight core arm CPUs. <laughs> yeah. Do you like pie? I do I, I indeed like pie. I don't know that I would like Raspberry Pi for anything other than compute. No? You've never tried Raspberry Pi? Raspberries are pretty tasty, man. They are. You're missing out. I could go into this story about how when I was a kid, my sister and I used to pick wild raspberries. Which I is think true. you almost did. Yeah, which is true. Is that the story? I mean, that's the whole thing? That kind of is the story. I can go into so, all about like where we found them and how awesome in the it woods. was, but I'm not going to bore you guys with that. Hopefully but, uh, hopefully you washed them before you ate them and didn't eat them with the dog piss on them. Oh, hell no. It was the 90s, and we were kids. Oh, uh, uh, so you ate them with the dog piss on them. You didn't that's wash wonderful. raspberries in the 90s. Oh, great. <laughs> you ate them and hoped you didn't die. Uh, uh, <laughs> raspberries uh, were kind of bitter, if I remember correctly. That's from the dog piss. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe them. it is. Maybe it's from the dog piss. <laughs> Are you suggesting the dogs piss on raspberries? Is that it? I mean, we, yeah. I mean, they're kind of they're low enough to the ground. If a dog is walking by, it's going to lift its leg and pee on the bush. I have dogs. They pee on everything. They they do. I was going to say, have you, have you have you encountered dogs, Nate? Like, I don't own dogs, and I know this. And it's Pennsylvania. I mean, there's there's dudes pissing on them, probably. <laughs> Just dogs everywhere. If you're, if you're a guy and you're out in the woods, you're not going to run back to the house to take a leak. You're going to just pee in the maybe, uh And then maybe, you and your little sister came along and ate him. Maybe it's, she's actually my older sister, so you've got oh, it wrong. Your already, older but. sister. Well, <clears throat> yeah. So anybody so. that's trying to gather information about Nate, you now know I have an older sister, but I won't mm. tell you how old. You're going to be. They're going to be able to crack your biometric information and access all your. Please, records. all they have to do is try to become friends with me on Facebook and realize that I hate everybody on Facebook. And then they'll see a link to who my sister is because that's how Facebook works. At any rate, our last article for the night is from CNN Business. And uh, it's basically one of these stupid articles where they're talking about how, oh, uh, the new version of iOS copies Android. So you know what? I'm feeling too crotchety to really talk about this that much. <laughs> basically, well, as discussed, I haven't read it. iOS is implementing a couple features that let you do things like, I don't know, alphabetize the 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 apps on your, your home screen, you know, the way Android does it in their app drawer. So obviously they're copying Android. Even though when you run an iPhone and you install a new app, it's a freaking cluttered mess. And I think they're just trying to fix that. If you're too dumb to make folders, which is very easy, mine's not a cluttered mess. You are correct. But if you don't create folders... If you're too dumb. It doesn't organize them in any way. It just throws them there, is what I'm saying. Yeah, if you're too dumb to make folders. And you can label the folders with names. Hang on. I've got two and a half screens. There's a fine fine line between dumb and lazy. Well. You might be too lazy to make folders. Karen spends enough time on her iPhone every day that she can learn how to make folders. So, um, at any rate... um, if you want to believe CNN business, I have no sympathy. Your your iPhone is going to be more like Android with the iOS 14 update. Um, I think it's a bunch of hyperbole. I think 
getting obsessive about phone operating systems as if they're actually important is kind of silly. It really kind of is. At any rate, that's all the news. I've closed that tab now. I'm not going to talk any more about it because I think it was, I don't even know why I included that. I should have just dropped it from the news. In fact, I'm going to make a note. No more phone I shit. should have dropped, if I could type. We can talk about security stuff around phones, but... Well, we yeah. did. Microsoft, totally, with the APT, ATP. Oh. <laughs> so if anybody yeah. wants a very strong and very tasty beer, you should get this thing I have on camera that if you're not watching on the live stream, you can't see. Does it have raspberries in it? There's no raspberries in it. But that's sweet well, baby Jesus crap again, is it? No, it is not sweet baby Jesus, but I still contend that that is not a bad beer, even though you and Ken and lots of other people that you know hated it. I liked it, damn it. I could go on the internet right now and find 30 people to say it's bad. Maybe I could find 30 people that say it's good. Microsoft did phone security through obscurity, is what Trooper Ish says. I knew a guy who had a Windows phone. Did I still he, know the guy. Did he hang himself? No, he's alive. I knew someone that insisted it was the best platform, to be honest. Actually, I knew two people. You know somebody who had a Windows phone. I used to I owned a Windows phone right before it came to Red Hat. There, see? Right I actually there. Liked, That's the it was a nifty, I it was a nifty interface. It was a nifty see? interface, but see? it was, it was funny because like Microsoft was in the same position that like Apple and Linux had been in for years. And, and those of you are like, what do you mean Apple? Apple's so popular. No, for a long time, Apple was single digit market share. Yeah. And, and they still are. But uh, yeah, but the, the windows, the windows phone interface was actually pretty quality. I mean, it was crappy as windows eight, but as on a phone, it was, it was, it, I liked it. Hmm. But the fact that, it didn't, that there weren't a whole lot of third, like, Nothing, everything was either pushed out like on Karen's iPhone or, you know, Android. With, with yeah, there's more people who uh, have uh, red Windows phones than like uh, Sweet Baby Jesus. That could be true. <laughs> the Windows phone of beers. Look, they still, they still make the things. So obviously, enough people like it that, um, you know. Anyway, this is from Evil Twin. They make they make a beer called the Imperial Donut Break, which is like a twelve percent beer that is an imperial stout with uh, chocolate and coffee, and it's actually really tasty. But I couldn't find it. But they have this other one called the Imperial Biscotti Break, which is the same beer except it's got uh, chocolate or sorry vanilla and coffee. It's actually pretty good. I like the Donut Break better though. But this is like 11.8 or something instead of 11.5%. So, you know, it's it's a one like, beer kind of beer. I liked my Johnny Walker song, Ice, that I drank while playing D&D the other night. That was good. I actually had one of these while, uh, while gaming the other night, too. I only have one left. They only come in a four-pack. I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> Sergio. Sir freaking Sergio. I, I let him get away with giving the guy the amulet that had the illusion on it, and he slipped it into his pouch. Did, you guys could have walked he, out of And there. then he screwed up. Freaking. <laughs> <laughs> let me be clever bard and avoid combat. 
Also true. <laughs> and then initiate combat. combat. <laughs> Freaking uh, idiot. So at any rate, folks, uh, in case you haven't guessed by our rambling about beer and Dungeons and Dragons, that's about it for tonight. <laughs> so thank you for that's the, that's the sign. That's the sign. That's the sign. So uh, thanks for watching live. If you decided to stick with us live, there's five of you, according to YouTube. Maybe maybe two of those are Charles and and uh, and Mark here, but I don't know. But hey, we had, had quite a bit of interaction in the chat, which is great, and uh, we appreciate that. So if you don't usually watch us live, uh, we've actually for for two weeks in a row been pretty good about going live on time for a change. So you should because check it I out. Nag him. I nag him because I'm German. That's totally it. <laughs> so listen, I, if, I, if Charles wasn't that? able to make me on time where for all the years that I literally directly worked with him, <laughs> you're not going to have any chance of it, Mark. I'm going to try. <laughs> it's, it's something worth. I tried. Failing. I tried hard. Yeah. So I don't know if we agreed to, to give a sneak preview of who's going to be on. Oh, we totally left that episode. out. Didn't we? <laughs> We did. <laughs> we have a great guest coming in July. We're super excited. You don't so, want to miss our next episode. Yeah. So uh, if if you have decided to stick around till this point of the show, um, or are listening to the recording, or are listening to the recording, which uh, you know we we kind of have you captive in that case because usually when you're listening to a podcast, you just keep going because you're busy driving or something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so minutes. we've managed to work out somehow to get the CTO of Red Hat to come on the show next time we record. So July 9th, I think is the, is the date we're going to have Chris Wright and he's going to be on to talk about, well, maybe we'll leave that for stuff. Yeah. Kind of all sorts, all sorts of nerd stuff. It's probably the, it's it's probably the best way to go about that. If you guys don't know Chris Wright, I mean, just go look at some of the presentations from summit and you'll find him. He's the guy with the beard, very similar to mine. So, (laughs) yeah. Which again, so if you're not watching live, you're like, "What? What beard? What does Nate's beard look like?" <laughs> it's like, super exciting because if we screw this show up, both Nate and I could probably get fired. We so totally awesome. could. We have to make sure Chris like, looks he's good. Like executive right? level almost, right? He's CTO, the CTO. He's he's got a C. He's got a C at the beginning of his title. C suite. C level. C level executive. Great guy. So yeah, it should be a good show. Hopefully. Well, it'll be a show anyway. It'll be a show. One way or another. Hopefully an awesome show. So uh, we may be in over our heads or maybe it'll be awesome. We'll see. (laughs) So, folks, again, thanks for watching live. If you've watched live, uh, thanks for sticking with us. If you're listening audio only or if you've watched live, because it's been quite a quite a journey on this show. (laughs) tonight <laughs> Indeed. um if you would like to watch us live just go find us on youtube youtube.com slash iron sysadmin podcast and subscribe and turn on those notifications so that you'll know when we slam go live that bell! slam that bell slam the bell no it's smash the bell smash the bell okay. you, you must not watch enough youtube it's smash that bell <laughs> Okay. Is the word it is. Um, so uh, you can also find us on pretty much anywhere you would normally find podcasts, uh, you know, on Apple. What do they call it? Apple Podcasts now or mm-hmm. Stitcher or Google Podcasts um, and probably anywhere that syndicates those places. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so by looking for Iron Sysadmin on IR on <laughs> I can't IRC, speak tonight on IRC, IRC no, 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 on, IRC, on Facebook or Twitter. 
Facebook or Twitter. Facebook or Twitter. CompuServe. CompuServe. AOL. My gosh. Yeah, you can you can look us up on Archie. Archie! <laughs> I don't even remember what Archie was hey, all about. Me a I just remember that it exists. <laughs> that it existed. Uh, and uh, don't forget that you can support us financially on Patreon if you would like to do so. And then you'll get your name read on the show. And maybe, just maybe... You'll be in the credits at the end of the show, which I've now figured out how to do, which is something you're going to see very shortly. So uh, good night, folks, and uh, I hope you guys have a good week or a good two weeks until we record again. Yay. Good night, all. Yep. Catch you next time. Peace. (laughs)